Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. We are closing out a series that started roughly seven weeks ago called Bad Day. And it's about how to go through a bad day. And what we've done is we've looked at the last seven statements that Jesus made as he was hanging on the cross. And today we're gonna deal with the very last one. Now, all of us go through bad days, but none quite like his. His was the worst, but this is all about how to help you see what he did to navigate through your bad day. As a matter of fact, Lori and I had a bad day a few years ago. We moved here in the fall of 2013. And uh, that was the year, first of all, that you guys had the worst winter in 20 years. So thank you for that. We appreciate that. Welcome to Ohio. <laughs> and uh, it was Super Bowl Sunday, January 2014. My son Ryan and I are sitting there watching the pregame chatter that's going on because we're going to go join a group of people and watch the Super Bowl, right? And all of a sudden, as we're sitting there watching, we hear this loud, boom. And I mean, it sounded like a sonic thunder. And you see the picture right behind me there? That was the drywall right behind my big screen TV splitting open, right? And Ryan and I were going like, whoa, what just happened? And he looks at me and he goes, dad, is this an earthquake? And then he stops himself and he goes, no, this is not California. It's not an earthquake. And I'm like, hold on, what's that sound? And I hear this like, wah! And I peek out through the garage door, run around, and this is what you see, this car had hit a patch of ice about 70 yards out. My guess is instead of hitting his brake, he hit the accelerator, went up an embankment, and punched a hole through my garage door, which was down in this little apartment in Vienna, and sent my Mercury Mountaineer with a V8 engine, a pretty sturdy car, flying about seven, eight feet in the air, totaled both my cars. But I do want you to know God is a God of miracles because he told the police officer that he was only going five miles an hour when it happened. And I think that's a miracle. <laughs> so, you know, we had to reach into our pocket and pull out a wad of cash to get some cars, even after the payout, because our cars were paid off that we didn't want to have to spend. And this had really come at the end of a season. How many know bad days can literally be bad weeks or months or sometimes even years? Yeah, we hate to say that, but a day is just a symbolic. But you know what I can tell you is at the end of that day, God was faithful. And what do I mean by that? That just means that he had our back and he brought us out. And he was leading us and he brought us out and he delivered us. And you know, he's good. And I don't know what your bad day is, but a bad day typically is you go to the doctor and you get a report that's devastating. Or you get laid off. Or you have a relationship that's falling apart to the point that you're just saying, I cannot see a way to put this thing back together again. Or maybe it's not you personally, but you've got a child or a loved one who's, you know, hooked on drugs. They're a drug addict. And you live with that all the time. That's your bad day. I just want to encourage you today and say, I believe that Jesus, number one, is going to be faithful in your life, and he's going to deliver you from that bad day. And secondly, I think that he shows us how to walk through our bad days. And today, the main thought that I want us to catch today is simply this, and this really is something that Jesus teaches us in his final statement on the cross, but it's a lifestyle for Jesus, and I believe it should be a lifestyle for us, and it's simply this. When you have a bad day, 
Surrender your day to God and let it go. Surrender your day to God and let it go. That's what you need to do. And it's a powerful thing. We're gonna look at that in just a moment. Now, all along, we've looked at this text out of Hebrews 12. And I wanna read this one last time for us today. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Look at how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, and whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. So he's saying, hey, when Jesus was on the cross, one of the ways that he was able to endure the pain, the shame, the suffering, the rejection, the judgment, all those things, was because he never took his eyes off of the finish line. Do you ever notice when you're running a race, you have to be looking ahead, you can't be looking behind you because you're gonna trip. How many of you wives get tired of telling your husbands to watch the road? I'm that guy, I'm like ADD guy, like, oh, did you see that? And she's like, the road. It, the, I'm telling you what, I've had so many almost heart attacks because my wife does this gasping. She'll go, huh? and I'm like, you know, it scares me because usually there's something coming, but sometimes it's 100 yards away. Come on, give me a break, all right? She's not here, so I could say that, all right? But we can't lose sight of it. What, what was he losing sight of? He, what was he keeping his eyes on? The reward. The reward of his obedience. Did you know there's a reward to your obedience if you stay in the race? How many of you this week put up with a little bit of um, stuff from people at your job? Why did you do that? Because a paycheck was coming. That's called a reward. And if, if we walk with Jesus, listen, there's a reward. And part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us is to what? To show us things to come, things that are ahead of us, things that God has prepared for us. And those are good things, not bad things. Did you know one of the prayers in the Bible, it says that we're to pray that God would lead us away from bad stuff? Did you know that? You should be praying that. A lot of people don't ever survive their bad stuff. But we should be praying, Lord, lead me away from temptation. Lead me away from pits that have been dug for me, snares and traps that have been laid for me by the enemy. Lead me away from battles I've never been called to fight. And if I am in the middle of a fight, then deliver me from temptation. So we've got to do what Jesus did and keep our eyes on the finish line. I want to look at what he said right here as his last statement. It was about 12 o'clock when the sun stopped shining. And darkness covered the whole country until three o'clock, sort of like a horror movie. And the curtain hanging in the temple was torn in two, which signified that now God was going to make a way for us to walk right into the presence of this holy God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 46. And Jesus cried out in a very soft whisper and hushed tone. No, he cried out in a loud voice. Everyone heard this that was watching him. Right before he takes his last breath, he says these words, Father, into your hands I place my spirit, or I commit my spirit, or I give my life. And I believe that Jesus, number one, shows us how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He shows us how to face death. And do you know, last time I checked, the death rate is still 100%. That means that everybody in this room is going to be there someday. And here's the thing, you know, it's assumed that if you're a Christian, you don't ever doubt or are ever afraid of death. But you know what? You can have those moments. But can I tell you something? If you're afraid of death, some people's way of dealing with it is denial. I don't want to talk about it. Other people are like, let's just talk about it. It's natural, right? It doesn't matter what your method is. Here's the bottom line. Jesus 
took care of death for you. He shows you, number one, he models, he said, at that moment, we die in faith. We place our hands, our life into the hands of our Father. And we're in good hands at that point. And he shows us how to do it. And then he tells us that we don't need to be afraid of that. Why is that? Hebrews chapter two, verse 14 says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son, Jesus Christ also became flesh and blood. Jesus, why? For only as a human being could he die. In other words, he wasn't capable of death until he took on a body. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way, listen to these words, could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You know, there's people that are terrified of dying. And Jesus, it says that he came and he broke the power of the person who held the keys of death. Now he's got him. He is in a kingdom. The prophet Isaiah saw his kingdom 700 years before he existed. He said the kingdom and the government of God is going to increase and grow and grow and grow. Did you know that there's more Christians alive here on earth? Missiologists tell us today there's more Christians alive here on earth than there now are in heaven. Did you know that? The kingdom is growing and expanding and yet the kingdom of Satan is a diminishing kingdom that is coming to nothing because the prince of this world has been judged. And Jesus said it like this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Man, I must add my Wheaties. You guys have me preaching today a little bit here. I've only had one coffee today. All right. No, Satan's unemployed, my friends. He's been dethroned. And we're all going to face death, but we don't have to be afraid of it because we're in good hands. Now, I'm not going to talk about basketball because I know that a lot of guys are going to get really sour looks on their face right now if I bring that subject up. So let's talk about baseball, the tribe, right? Hey, these two guys, childhood friends, played little league, high school, and even college ball together. And uh, they had this pack on. They said, hey, man, if one of us ever dies and comes back, we got to tell the other person if there's baseball in heaven, and so sure enough, one day they're having coffee, and this guy, man, he dies. Heart attack. Paramedics come. They resuscitate him. He sees his buddy the next day at the hospital room, and he's like, all right, man, we got this packed. You got to tell me, is there baseball in heaven? He said, well, I have good news, and I have bad news. He said, the good news is, is yes, there is baseball in heaven, and it is awesome. He goes, well, what's the bad news? He goes, the bad news is you're the starting pitcher next Thursday. So I want to tell you a little story. One of the things that's always fascinated me, when I was a teenager, I was looking at, you know, I, my brother and I would go to the gym all the time. We worked out for hours and hours and hours, and we never looked like the guys in the magazine. Little did we know that we would have had to be shooting up roids every day to do that. Anyways, we worked out for hours, I kid you not, four or five times a week, ate a lot of food, tried to, tried to yoke up, never got that big. And it was kind of like, I remember reading magazines all the time. I remember reading these magazines where these guys would do these grip strength exercises. They do pull-ups with their fingertips. And then I found out about this group of people called hard men. They called them that in those days. These were guys that would go climb these rocks and cliffs with no harnesses, no safety gear. And you'd see them hanging off the edge of a cliff on their fingertips. And I would go, whoa, that's crazy. And then comes American Ninja Warrior, and who does the best? All these rock climbers, right? Because you can hang off a quarter of an inch by two fingers for three minutes. I'm like, what? So 
I became fascinated with grip strength a little bit. And I knew that mine wasn't that great, but uh, I know that the average male has about 121 pounds of grip strength. The average female, about 70. But there are whole contests that are done with this. And I'm going to show you a little thing here. This is called a gripper, an iron mine gripper, right? Now, this gripper right here, if you want to squeeze this, Rudy, you might be able to do this, but if you want to squeeze this, you have to be able to exercise 280 pounds of grip strength to close this tip to tip. Now, I'm going to show you how awesome your pastor is, right? You ready? I'm going to use two hands. And with two hands, are you ready? Are you ready? Come on. Where's the crowd? You know how the power guys are getting? Good. Ah. Well, I got it within a half inch. <laughs> but there are guys that are way stronger than me. And one of them is right here behind me. His name is Mark Felix. He's a strong man from England. He's 6'4". Now, his record has been broken, but in 2011, he took this very gripper with one hand. He gripped what's called a silver bullet, a little piece of metal, very thin, that has a strap on it with a weight attached to it. And he clamped down, pinched that shut, and held it for 45 seconds. How many know, now women, you don't do this, but guys growing up, any of you guys growing up ever get into that handshake thing where you try to crush your buddy? Nobody's gonna, yeah. Don't ever get into one of those with Mark Felix. You will be in the ER room. You will have crushed hand. And so this guy's amazing, but can I ask you a question? Do you think his grip is stronger than your father's? I don't think so. How about John 10, 27? My sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them real and eternal life. They are protected from the destroyer for good. Listen to this. No one can steal them out of my hand. Isaiah 48, 13. It was my hand that laid the foundations of the earth. The palm of my right hand spread out the heavens above. I spoke and they came into being. Everything that we can see around us today, all the beauty that's out there, for those of you that are going outside today and just enjoying it, that was created by the hand of your Father. Psalm 37, 24, as we walk through life, it says, if he stumbles, talking about you and me, he's not down for long. Why is that? Because God has a grip on his hand. Now, how many of you know the Bible isn't talking about a literal hand? This is a metaphor. It's like when the Bible says the Lord is our rock. Well, he's not a rock. He's not a stone. It's a metaphor. What does the hand represent? It represents strength. It represents ability. It represents power that is going to go to work for you. Hey, can you give me a hand? What does that mean? Can you give me a hand? What does that mean? You're going to help me lift this situation, right? It's a metaphor for God being released in our life and working in our life. And let me tell you something. When you put something into the hands of God, including your life, there is no one that's got the power to rip it out of his hands. He's got unlimited grip strength. And so today, I just want to challenge you. How many of you know there's stuff that we face in life that we're not up to the challenge of? It's above our pay grade. It's stuff that we didn't see coming We don't quite know how to handle it. We're looking at it, but we can't quite figure it out. Do you know what we need to do in those situations? We need to put those situations into God's hands. And let me tell you that the opposite of that is worry. Jesus taught us that worry was counterproductive. What does that mean? 
worry will literally choke out the work and the purpose and the will of God in your life. He says that worry can kill what God is trying to do in you. So it's not your friend. Worry is not your friend. As a matter of fact, I would say this. Worry is something that if you're in the habit of it, it's the nastiest habit probably that you have in your life and you just don't even know it. Let me tell you what I think about worry. I'm going to give you a little story here. I have, uh, I have two brothers. I am the slender brother, and I'm not that slender. But I'm the slender guy. My two brothers, one of them's my height, but he's built like a, you know, like a power. He's just like double wide me. He's a guy who could do, you know, take 500 pounds on a squat rack, you know, when we were in our 20s and go down for a couple of reps. He doesn't do it anymore, but I mean, he could back then. Big guy. Now, my little brother is 6'2", and he probably outweighs me by 60 pounds. And he's a big boy. Anybody ever seen that little Disney movie, Merida Brave? Remember the little Scottish prince? Did you ever see her dad? My brother kind of looks like her dad. He plays bagpipes. He's like a big Viking guy, man. Well, he was always head and shoulders bigger than all the other kids in class. But my dad would always say, your brother Paul is a gentle giant. He had a gentle spirit. You know, he wasn't a bruiser. But he did know how to fight. When he was in sixth grade, this kid came into his school, into his class. And this kid was like a miniature gangbanger. You know what I mean? And he had the look, he had the talk, and he was just beating on kids. And he was intimidating And my brother just kind of sized him up and said, all right, I'm not going out of my way, but if he does come my way, I'm not afraid of him. I'm going to put him in his place. So sure enough, one day, he throws a ball at my brother, whatever. They start, you know, shoving each other. And then my brother, Paul, just unloaded three blows into his jaw. And as the Irish would say, he dropped him like a sack of potatoes. Let's hit the ground. My mom gets a call from the principal. She's not expecting anything because Paul's the good son. You know, he's like the good son. And she shows up and she walks in the door and she sees a little kid there and he's got tears in his eyes and he's holding his jaw. And she's like, oh no, this is not good. The principal says, Mrs. Cathers, would you please shut the door? He says, okay. He says, what I'm about to tell you, could you please keep this in total confidence? And she's like, yes. He said, on behalf of myself, the staff, all the teachers, here at Gridley Street Elementary School, we would like to thank Paul for the beating that he put on this kid because this kid was a nightmare for all the other kids and he had it coming. So we want to thank you for that. Please don't tell anyone I said that. All right, have a nice day. Can I tell you something? Worry's a bully. You know I know Worry's a bully? Do you ever go to bed super tired to the point where you're like, I am exhausted, and all of a sudden worry just walks right on into your room and says, hey, by the way, you're not going to sleep tonight. I'm going to keep you up all night. Doesn't that sound like a bully? How about this? I'm at work, and I'm trying to focus on my job, but my mind is a million miles away, and I'm having trouble focusing, right? And and, how many know it's trying to rob my job performance? How, How about this? How about this? You got kids going through stuff and you can't, you can't, you go to pray and you can't even think about prayer. Your mind is obsessed and you're that hamster on the wheel and you're just running 100 miles an hour. What's that? That's because worry is a bully. And you know what you do with bullies? You look them in the eye and, and you just smack them. You just smack them. How do we smack bullies like that though? I'm going to tell you how to do it right now. Romans 10, 11 says this. Anyone who trusts in him will never 
never be disappointed. No, things may not turn out exactly the way you want them to or the way you thought they should, but when you step back in life like Joseph, it might take a couple of decades sometimes, but when you step back like Joseph and you connect all the dots and you say, God was saving millions through my temporary suffering, it makes sense now. You step back and you see what God is doing and you know that when you trust in him, when it's all said and done, you're not gonna be the one who's disappointed. You're gonna be the one who's blessed and happy. And how do we do that? First Peter 5 Many of you know this scripture very, very well. But the apostle Peter is writing to elders and people that are leading the church. And he begins to talk to the young men. And how many know sometimes young men, they're super ambitious and they wanna climb that mountain in five minutes. They wanna get there now. And he's saying, hey, you young guys, slow down a little bit. He said, the way to get to where you wanna go is to humble yourself. And watch what he tells them to do. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand so that he will lift you up in his own good time. What does that mean? That means God is gonna be able to get you exactly where you need to be when you need to be there at the right time. He's got that ability with his hand. And then it says this, get this, leave all your worries with him because he cares for you. Leave all your worries with him because he actually cares about you. Cares about you in great detail. That's amazing to me. Leave all your worries with him. Because he cares about you. You're like, does he care? Yeah, he cares. Yeah. You know, I met my wife in 1981, started dating her in 1981. I've spent, I don't know how many countless hours with her, and I know that woman pretty well. But you know what I don't know? I could not, for the life of me, tell you how many hairs she actually has on her head. Do you know who could tell you that? Her father. Amen. Do you know this? When Jesus taught us about prayer, he said, hey, by the way, you don't have to be like people who feel like if you just talk long enough and hard enough, you can kind of finesse God into answering your prayer. He's like, actually, it's not that way. Your father knows what you actually need before you get it out of your mouth. That's how well he knows you. He doesn't just know you. He cares about you. He's your, listen, when Jesus taught us to pray to our Father, it wasn't just like, well, let me just teach you like a cool way to pray. This is a little formal thing, just say Father. No, no, no. Names define relationships. I talked to my dad a couple days ago. He's 86. I call him Dad. There's, there's an, when I say Dad, he's like, Grim. It's an instant connection that we have. I say, uh, a lot of times we have pet names for people. I call my wife, I call my wife Sweetheart. That defines my relation. I, I don't call you Sweetheart. <laughs> I don't call you that. That defines my relationship. My kids have pet names for me that I love. I, one of my kids, he has a name. He calls me all the time. I love it. My wife hates it, but I love it. And it's like, you know, those names define a relationship. Listen, the moment you and I get these words, watch. You want to be a powerful prayer warrior? Get these words out of your mouth. Father, at that moment, you have his full undivided attention because you're his kid. And he's committed to you. I was committed to my kids when they were growing up. He's way more committed to you than I could ever be to my sons or my granddaughter. Yes, I'm coming to see you soon, Eliza. All right, anyways. You know what I know about life is it gets messy, but you know God's not afraid of your mess. 
I remember uh, one of my sons was like two years old and his mom was giving him a bath and this kid pooped in the bathtub. I came home, I said, what happened today? She said, you're never gonna believe it. She said, he pooped in the bathtub. I said, you gotta be kidding. She said, no. Then he scooped it up, handed it to me and said these words, do something with it. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> now this is church, so we're gonna keep it clean in here. But don't we need to bring our messes to God, right? Don't we mess life up, right? Don't we have a saying around here? No perfect people allowed. Well, if you're not perfect, you're imperfect. If you're imperfect, you make mistakes that you regret, things you wish you wouldn't have never done. And you still, what do you do? You don't just bring the cool stuff to God. You bring your messes to him. You don't hide your messes from him. You bring them to him. And you leave them in his hands because his hands are capable hands. So let me share with you a story. Um... That happened a number of years ago. My, my three sons were pretty little. Two of them, I think, were not even in school at that time. Uh, Lori was, you know, doing a lot of work with them, and we were living off one salary. We were pretty good stewards with our money, but we had a little bit of debt, not a lot, just a little, uh, but we had no savings. We had no money in the bank. Uh, we were living paycheck to paycheck. And uh, so I'd been working at this job for three years, and suddenly, this company was bought out by another company. And how many of you know when a company buys another one, there's always that little bit of like chatter going on, like what's going to happen? And the word was coming down that the sales force was going to get their commissions doubled. And I'm like, yes, twice as much money for the same amount of work sounds really good to me. And so we get to our national sales training meeting, and they're revealing the new product lines. And, and all of a sudden, we have that last meeting one-on-one. -on -one with HR and they're saying, by the way, to the person, we're reducing your income by about 33%. My wife picked me up at the airport. I told her, I said, look, I'm working six days a week. Now summers, I had a little bit of break, but six days a week. And I'm a lot of times leaving the house at five or six in the morning and getting home anywhere from seven to nine at night. So I'm already working long days, and I just said to her, I said, I guess I'm going to have to find a way to work even harder. And she said, that's not acceptable. And then we began to, I, I started talking to people. I started getting counsel. I talked to my old boss who they, they axed him. He was a great man. They axed him. They just let him go. Met with the other sales, regional salespeople, and we began to have these conversations. And they were all saying, let's go to this company and say, we'll honor our old contracts, just not the new one. And so we all did that on a united front. They rejected it. And so I will never forget, I turned in my resignation on a Wednesday morning without a dime in the bank. I might have had 10 bucks. I don't want to exaggerate, maybe 10 bucks. And I wasn't going to get a next paycheck because I wasn't signing the new contract. So there's no paycheck coming. I don't have any backup. Oh, what I forgot to tell you was the worship leader, now I was teaching, I was teaching a Wednesday night class. I could do that every Wednesday uh, for kids. Uh, but the worship leader had been asking me for three years because I used to lead worship before I came there. And he'd been asking me for three years to join his team. And I could never join his team because I couldn't make the practices. So for six months, I've been looking for a better job. Do you know what I found in six months? I found one opportunity that fell through. That was as good as what I had for six months. That's what I could do. So let me tell you why I did that. I, I took counsel. But that week, see, there's one thing to know a scripture like, well, I know that. It's another thing to let that thing go deep in you. Do you ever hear the word rooted, grounded? Like where it gets a little bit deeper, where you kind of, just the way you chew and savor a meal, you kind of chew on that. 
And I'd been chewing on this scripture that I just read to you. And I'd been getting deep in my heart. And I said, you know what, God? I don't understand why this has happened. I don't know how it's gonna work out. But I know that you're speaking to me through your word and you're asking me to put this care into your grip so you can do what I can't do. And I need your help because I got three young boys to feed. They're depending on me. And I remember I put that in his hands. I went to church that night. I talked to two people alone, both salespeople. I said, hey, just want to let you know, I turned in my resignation today. If you happen to know of any opportunities, please let me know so I can submit my resume. I get home. Now, young folks, there were no cell phones in those days, and, you know, we, we didn't text, none of that stuff. So I get home that night from church. Fifteen minutes after I get home, I get a call from this one guy I talked to. He said, Graham, you're not going to believe this. He said, but my neighbor owns his own business, and he said, we actually haven't talked about it in over two years. He said, but when I got home tonight, there was a message on my answering machine saying, hey, do you know of anyone that has a sales background that might be a good candidate for my company? Can I tell you this? One week later, I was employed there. They gave me flex in my schedule. I still work six days, but I had flex to join the worship team, and I was part of that. So God moved me into the next position. Listen, he can do what you and I cannot do. And how do we get God to work on our behalf? We put it in his hands. The only worries that he can deal with are the ones that you actually give to him, right? If you put something in his hands, now it's his. Now, I'm not a great mechanic by any stretch of the imagination. In my younger days, I did a lot of maintenance on my cars, just maintenance. But as time went on, you know, everything gets harder. You gotta have specialized tools. You gotta have computers. You, it's hard to work on your own car. So you know what I do when my car breaks down or it's having trouble? I take it to my mechanic. And I say, hey, here's what's going on. And you know what? This guy's never failed me yet. He always fixes the problem. I leave it with him. He works on it. He calls when it's done. How many think it would be just a little bit crazy if I dropped my car off and said, here's the problem I'm having. I don't know what's going on. Can you work on it? And then all of a sudden I roll up on his garage the next day and say, hey, could you please move over? I see you're working on my car. Could you move over? Because I'm going to try and fix this problem. What am I doing? I'm taking it back out of his hands. And you can't do that. And that's the thing. We can't take our problems back out of his hands. We have to put them in his hands and leave them there and know that now they're in his hands. We're releasing his power, his ability, his provision, his protection to work in our life, in our situation. Let's look at one last scripture here. Matthew 6, 34, it says, so don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have its own worries. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And why is Jesus telling us this? Because usually our ability to worry goes way beyond today. How many of you would just freely admit that? My ability to worry, Graham, goes way beyond today. Like I can worry about next week. I can worry about next year. I can worry about retirement that's 30 years out. I mean, we can worry. And what does Jesus say? He says, one day at a time, one day at a time. You know why? Because you're reaching into to tomorrow's problems and bringing them into your today when you worry. You're borrowing on future problems. And you know what? There's grace for today, but we have, there'll be grace for tomorrow when you get there tomorrow. Amen. But you have grace for today. It's like God is saying, just deal with today. You know, if I was to work out with my son and try to keep pace with him, I'd probably want to vomit at the end of that workout. 
Can you imagine? He said, hey, dad, let's go do a workout. And I work out real hard with him and I'm like, done. And he says, okay, dad, you ready to do another 29? We're gonna do a month's worth of workouts today right now. How I many know I'm not wired? I'm not built for that kind of stress. I can't handle it. Spiritually, you're not either. You're made to trust in God, put something in his hands and leave it there, knowing that he's gonna take care of you. And you know what? When you do that, he'll never disappoint you. I love what Mark Twain said years ago. I am an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them have never happened. Amen. And isn't that what worry is? Let's pray. Because some of you walked in here today and you got the weight of the world on your shoulders. I mean, literally, you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders and you've been carrying it for a while and you're at a breaking point. Like, you can't carry it anymore. And you know what? That's because you were never designed to carry that. You were designed to trust. You don't have to figure it all out. And what I want to give you a chance to do here right now, I mean, before we walk out of this place, is I'm going to give you a chance to just take that thing, that weight, that burden, that fear, that anxiety, that worry, and just place it in his hands. Place it in his hands. And so I, I, this isn't ultra spiritual, but I want you to do this while we're in this attitude of prayer. If you have your eyes shut, just I want you to use your mind's eye and I want you to see what, what is that thing? Put a name on it. Maybe it's a person or maybe it's a thing. And I want you to see yourself right now. See yourself, place it into the hands of your father in heaven right now. Go ahead right now. Just put it in his hands right now. Go on. He's been waiting for you to do this. He's been waiting for you to do this. Just give it to him. Give it to him right now. Because you're going to walk out of here without it. You're going to walk out of here without it. Jesus said, don't worry. Don't do it. Give it to me. And I want you to pray this prayer of commitment with me right now. Just simply say this. Say, Father, right now, I commit my care into your hands. I surrender it to you. I let it go. When I wake up tomorrow, I choose to place that day and every day in your hands. Amen. Listen, God's going to work. Listen, the Bible is nothing, nothing but a bunch of recorded stories, how God interacted in the stories of people's lives. And God is all about being involved in the story of your life and your story, your life story, and what's going on with you, which is being written today, matters to him. And listen, you've just put something into his hands and therefore you've released his strength and his ability to go to work on your behalf. And just watch what he will do. He will do what you cannot do. He certainly did what I could not and he will do what you cannot. Let's just talk about one more thing here. If you're here today, maybe you're like me. Maybe you grew up in a church. I was in a church my whole life. I went a minimum of three times a week. But you know what? I didn't have a personal faith. If you were to ask me, do you believe in Jesus Christ? I would have said, absolutely. If you'd asked me, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? I would have said, absolutely. Do you believe that he rose from the dead? I would have said, 100%, I believe that. If you would have said, have you surrendered your life to him? Have you given him the steering wheel of your life? Have you made a decision to follow him? I would have said, no, I have not. I knew that I hadn't. But you know what? You can't really find the purpose for which you're here on earth until you do surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Call on him as Lord and follow him. 
And listen, it's not some kind of magic prayer that we pray in here every week. It's just that when you talk to God, he listens and he answers. And here's the thing. If you've never done that before, if you've never taken your life and placed it into his hands, I want to encourage you to do that today. Never done that. Maybe you did that a long time ago, but you walked away from that. You kind of did your own thing. You, you kind of walked your own path and you're saying, you know what? A long time ago, I, I used to be that person, but I haven't been that person in a long time. But today you're here and you're ready to be that person. And you're ready to say, hey, you know what? I found out following my own path wasn't the right path. I'm ready to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Either one of those, what I want to do is I want to just say a simple prayer with you in just a moment that I believe God will honor. And let me tell you why I believe it. This isn't real complex. This is real simple. The gospel is really simple. Listen to what the apostle Paul wrote in the Bible. He said, if you simply declare or if you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God brought him back to life, he said, you'll be saved. As a matter of fact, he said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. That's a promise. You call on his name, he keeps that promise, he saves you. So if you're here today and you're ready to pray that prayer, you're ready to call on his name, then I want you to pray with me. And church, would you help me pray? Just say these words, say, Jesus, today I make a decision to follow you. I believe that you rose from the dead and I declare with my mouth that you are Lord. Receive me into your kingdom. Forgive my sins. I give my life to you. I place it in your hands today. Amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.